testing, testing, one, two, three. This is my voice under the blanket. How does it sound now? Hi, and welcome to season two of The Willing Fool. I'm your host and lead fool, Paul Trimble. This is episode one. For those of you who are coming back, welcome back. Last season, we spent a lot of time talking about being in sort of a gray area between having a very firm set of religious beliefs and maybe in an institutional church of some kind, and on the other hand, not necessarily ascribing to a particular set of beliefs or not being in a particular church. And I want to continue that strain this season and go a little bit deeper, a little bit further There are some topics I'm really excited to do some deep dives into with you and wrestling with some just great questions, uh, great biblical texts that I think will shed light on some things that for me have been pretty revolutionary and I think for some other people the same, giving a really new vantage point on what the message is and how then we might want to respond to it. Because I think that many people have gotten a hearing, you know, growing up or whatever point in their life, and then, you know, had whatever response that they chose to have to it that's morphed and changed over time. But what if, what if that message as you initially heard it wasn't really the best rendition of that message that it could have been? What if it was off in significant ways that would have made a difference to how you thought Uh, about the message and what was being communicated to you and how you might respond to it. Well, that's sort of the theme of season two. And like I said, I'm very excited about it. What I want to do today, though, is a little different. And it's just to clear out some potential underbrush, things that might get in your way that you may not be attuned to. Uh, And I'm not an expert on any of these things, but I've simply kind of run across them at different times, different ways, and realize that, oh, here I am thinking that it's me, you know, this sort of uh, brain and a body that's evaluating objective evidence as it's brought to me and making a decision about, oh, what do I believe about this? And no, I can't believe that. And in fact, I think the reality is just a lot more complex than that. And we ourselves are agents in in a reality. We are um, we're not aloof from reality, we're, we're in it. And so just as we might want to evaluate objectively the evidence within that reality, reality in a sense is always having its effect and forces on us as well. And those are the things that we can be blind to, um, that we cannot simply take into account or even be able to uh, identify or have language for. So we want to talk about that a bit. Something in here may be really helpful to you. Maybe just a term or a phrase you've never heard before. Um, and those things to me have been invaluable in my journey. And so I just try to pass along things that I find valuable. So anyway, I want to talk about that. So I've got six things here. Six things that in your journey of faith, wherever you may be on it, may be helpful in even trying to take a step back and to the degree that it's possible to view yourself with a little more objectivity or awareness. And and in some cases, I think this will make your journey better and hopefully easier and remove some obstacles. Okay, so without further ado, number one, 
want to talk about ways of knowing that are other than the way that we typically think of knowing, which is a purely rationalistic experience. When I say rationalistic, I mean we think that all the evidence is outside of us. We can put it down on paper or have someone present it to us in black and white and then make a, a rendering, a rational, logical rendering on, well, I believe that's true or I don't believe that's true and here's why and here are my reasons. So a lot of times we think that there must be sort of a scientific evidence or at least positive evidence for something for us to believe it. And those things can be communicated again in, in written form and declarative form. And that is one way of knowing. But because of our love of all things science, which I'm in that boat, and just a powerful, overwhelming force of science in recent centuries, which I'm very grateful for, it can become sort of invisible that there are other ways of knowing things. For example, um, what did you have for breakfast this morning? You can think about it, and hopefully you've already had breakfast. Uh, is that? Do you have scientific evidence for that? Could you prove it to somebody? You say you had, you know, eggs with toast, but but how could you could you prove it? Now you have a memory in your head you, of what you experienced, but that doesn't necessarily constitute scientific evidence. Same thing if you're going through some some sort of pain, or somebody else is going through some sort of pain. It'd be hard to make an argument that you really have any scientific evidence for that pain. Um, and and we don't, we're so used to that, we don't even think of that as a possibility. But if everything requires evidence, and that evidence must be scientific, then, then pain would have to be in that. But it's not, is it? It's a whole different category of thing. And these are actually, there's a word for this, or a phrase for this. If I Hopefully I'm getting it right. And it's called properly basic knowledge. Properly basic knowledge, like the two examples I just gave you, you don't have scientific evidence for, and it's not a really a realistic expectation for that type of knowledge. Uh, another one, another example would be your identity. You can say your name and your social security number, but in many cases, you'd be hard pressed, uh, especially on the spot, to really prove what your identity is. Prove what your someone could always come up with a theory, right, and say, "Well, I don't know. I have a different different view. I think you're actually a double agent. Your name is da 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 da, and you're from this country." And you might be hard pressed to find scientific evidence to prove otherwise. Whatever you show them, they could always come up with a counter explanation. So there are other types of knowledge other than scientific knowledge. Um, and we just went through some examples of properly basic knowledge. There are other kinds as well. You think about relational knowledge, there's a whole reality to anybody that you have um, an ongoing, especially. A close relationship with. Things have meaning. Every word has a context of a very complex history, sometimes just a look or a facial expression. The person themselves making it might not even be aware of, but you know what that means and you know all these things that are potentially behind that. That's a very rich world, a very rich world of knowledge that is real. And yet, once again, nothing like scientific knowledge that you could show to somebody. People say... Um, relate things you do more than once to like riding a bike. And that's a sort of knowledge, isn't it? It's a kinetic knowledge, muscle memory knowledge. But once more, it's not in the realm of here's my scientific proof of this declarative statement. In other words, there are just lots of different kind of knowledge. So don't get pigeonholed by thinking that 
anything that somebody wants to posit as truth and for us to make a, a belief about or have some knowledge of, that it has to be scientifically proven. That's simply not true, and that's not the way that we operate. Number two, similar to that and related to that, we have an obsession sometimes with certainty. We'd love to be certain. And I think this goes on kind of both sides of the spectrum, both the religious side and the non-religious side. On the religious side, I think people, those of us religious, have often been in error of trying to demand certainty of people when that's probably not appropriate or healthy or even possible in most cases. Certainty can come with its own negative aspects. But sometimes we think we have to be certain, and, and religiously sometimes we affiliate faith with certainty, which it is not. Uh, but we might think we have to be certain before we can say we believe something or we have faith in something or to move forward with what we have. Well, there's a different sort of knowledge that's not certainty. And the phrase we're going to use for that is provisional knowledge. Provisional means this is the best I can know and understand right now. Um, I'm open to something different if something new comes along that is much better or has better evidence or proves itself. But as of right now, this is the best I know. And so almost everything we handle in the real world is like this. And so somebody could ask me, um, are you are you certain that uh, your wife is who she says she is? And I might say, well, I don't know. What do you mean certain? I'm pretty sure. You know, I feel like I have good reason. If something came along one day and just upended my whole understanding of reality, then I would have to adapt. But I'm not waiting with bated breath for that to happen. I've I've landed somewhere on this topic and I'm comfortable with it uh, unless proven otherwise. And that's provisional knowledge. And it doesn't pertain just to relational uh, things. It also is how most of science works. If you think about it, science scientists don't go around, and this is to their benefit, their credit, they don't go around saying, I am certain that this is how this works, and this is how this unfolded, and this is the theory that explains it. No, almost all of science is provisional knowledge. This is the best working theory you have. It doesn't mean I have no confidence in it. You can have a lot of confidence in it. Uh, or maybe you have just over 50% confidence in it, but... In any case, it's provisional knowledge. If you think about Newtonian physics being upended by Einsteinian uh, relativity, well, the Newtonian model was pretty good and explained a lot very, very well. But once Einstein came along, everybody had to adapt and think, oh, this is a fuller and better explanation of the physical reality we're observing. And there's nothing wrong with that. And it doesn't mean Newton was a failure, uh, but it does mean that we have provisional knowledge which means we're willing to update if the evidence warrants it. Even now, there's uh, gaps between quantum realm and what we observe at the macro level. We don't necessarily know how to bridge that gap, but it doesn't mean that either one is wrong. There are gaps and disparities and even absurdities in science that can't fully be explained. It doesn't mean they're poor theories. It doesn't mean that either one of two disparate theories are wrong. It just means there's gaps in our understanding. I think there's even uh, an observed gap between relativity and quantum mechanics. And we know relativity is right, and we know quantum mechanics is right, but we don't know how these two things interface. They don't seem to be possibly uh, able to interface. But 
yet we're not really shaken in either one of our uh, confidences in the two uh, relative theories. So that's an example. Provisional knowledge is real. And so once again, you don't have to feel pigeonholed that unless I have certainty, I can't move forward or I can't say that I know something or confident of something. Of course, it means, yes, if presented with alternate evidence that completely blew up your way of understanding, you would adapt. Yeah, you can do that and still say that I know something or I'm sure of something or relatively sure of something. And I think that can apply to the faith world as well. Number three, uh, well, I alluded to this in the intro, but the content itself, especially I'm talking here specifically the uh, Christian scriptures, so the Hebrew Bible, the New Testament as well, the message itself has often been drastically misunderstood and misrepresented. And some of that came about in a way that is historically understandable because as culture changed over time, our lenses and worldviews changed over time. And many of those things got incorporated into the way that we looked at scripture. And I'm saying we just generally culturally uh, and the way we looked at, therefore, the message that came through uh, the Christian scriptures. So just to, to, to paint very, very broad brush, the message came to seem something like we all as humans have these disembodied souls that are temporarily in exile in these bodies and temporarily exiled on this physical earth. But really our home is in this ethereal disembodied place called heaven that is very distant and essentially unrelated to earth. And it is a non-physical reality, so our bodies are not welcome there. Um, And the Christian message is all about embracing this set of doctrinal statements or beliefs. And if you do that sufficiently, then you are going to be, your soul is going to be rescued. Every soul that doesn't do that, there's going to be judgment based on that rejection of those those statements, those beliefs, and um, will not survive the transition to the disembodied ethereal existence. The problem is that's not, <laughs> that isn't really the Christian message, but that's what you'll hear in churches um, to this day, and that's been true for for some time. Some some version of that, and it's not always quite so extreme the way I just said it, but that's usually pretty close. It's that's what's underneath a lot of what is presented, and actually the the picture I painted has a lot to do with Greek philosophy, uh, among others, and has to do with developments within our, our history, such as the Enlightenment, and even the way that we naturally try to evaluate that message through a very rational, rationalistic way, uh, trying to make judgments about a supernatural being who invaded into the natural realm and did did miracles which were contravention of natural law. There's so much wrapped into that that we accept full fully that actually is a smuggling in of philosophy that has really nothing to do with what the writers of scripture were writing or thinking. It's not how they framed things. And the lens even through which we judge the message that we kind of created ourselves is itself a lens that is being challenged by the message that really is there. So I know I'm talking in vague um, abstractions right now, but this is actually what I want to dive into this season But for now, just 
take it as the short version, the nuggetized version, that we have distorted the message and then we've evaluated that message through our own distorted, I won't make the argument, distorted worldview that is being challenged itself by the message. So there's multiple layers of problems with that. But it also presents an opportunity to learn and to grow and to see what is a different option. Number four, this is a vague collection of things. I'm just calling problems with you as the rational judge of everything. Problems with you as a rational judge of everything because one could ask the question, how great of a judge are you, in fact? How pristine is your rationality? If you propose to sit in judgment on a message or a set of facts or evidences, how great of a judge are you? I mean, I can look in for the ketchup and not see it right in front of me in the refrigerator. So there's an instant sort of setback or humility on my part that is necessary for me as a judge of everything. How tight is your integrity and trustworthiness? If you're going to be a judge, you need to have great trustworthiness and integrity. How great is that for you? If not, then it's just something to keep in mind. It doesn't mean you don't make judgments and you don't assess things, but there needs to be a proper humility there of, wow, how how great am I about doing this? And even recognizing that you yourself probably have blind spots and weaknesses and biases and hidden motives and agendas. Why would you think that you don't have those things? In fact, you could ask yourself, how good are you at identifying those and compensating for them? If you're thinking, well, I don't, I don't actually have any, you know what, I'm going to suggest that maybe you're not quite yet qualified to render verdicts on ultimate reality and God just yet. For most of us, it's hard to even execute full truth and justice on a micro scale. This morning, my kids got into a fight about who should have the seat next to me because one had gotten up for a few minutes and the other had sat sat down. And I thought, you know what? I was stumped. I couldn't figure out how to execute what is actually just in this situation in the tiniest, most inane, mundane thing in the world, much less something much greater where justice is called for, but how do you execute it? It gets so difficult, so challenging. Sometimes I would say almost impossible. And if I can't execute justice, even on a small scale, then maybe I need to be open to that challenge and someone who has ideas about what ultimate justice really looks like. And lastly, just a general question, how often do you find reality pushing back on you? When you think you can just have a plan, you have your assumptions, you have your desires, you think you can act it out, and you find out, ah, lo and behold, the day has another thing planned for you, or the thing you're trying to fix has another thing planned for you. It's just a way of thinking that I have my influence on reality, but guess what? Reality often pushes back on me. That seems to be just part of the existence we find ourselves in. And I think that that's a good check on our assumptions about being able to stand in judgment about the greatest and deepest things of life. I noticed somebody posted on Facebook on a discussion forum the other day that they were wrestling through their own faith journey and they were trying to decide, what do I really believe? And can I believe this and believe that? And they just had this comment that I thought, uh, it really struck me, and it seemed appropriately humble and wise. And they said, you know, even if I come to this conclusion that none of this 
is real, does that really make it so? How confident am I in my own conclusion? I, it feels like there's a lot that goes on outside of me and before me and people have wrestled through this and there's just a lot more to this than simply me as an individual rendering a verdict. And I don't know. I mean, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't try and that it excuses us from drawing any conclusions. Not at all. It just means that there's a a proper putting of ourselves in our own place where we need to be. You get the point. Number five, other people. I'm just stating this as a observation that I think more than we realize very often, we are influenced by what other people have concluded. And not only by what other people have concluded, but by what we imagine they will think about us if we arrive at different conclusions. There can be this fear of, well, everybody, you know, da da da, that I know, or everybody in society in general, or whatever, believes this. And if I draw this other conclusion, am I the am I the naive one? Am I the foolish one? Am I the stupid one? Am I the dull one? Whatever you fill in the blank, and I don't know that there's any way to just completely avoid that. I mean, I'm subject to this as well, but it can't be the. Well, you would hope that it would not be the deciding factor. It's simply something to be aware of that it can be influencing us even without our understanding or awareness or knowledge. We're afraid not only of disagreeing, but we're afraid of the judgment that comes with disagreeing. And I think all of this is stuff to be wrestled with. We're social creatures, and I don't think we'll ever get away from caring what other people think. I think that can be healthy. But at the same time, just to have an awareness that it's there. And sixth and lastly, we do sometimes have uh, resistance to having to decide and act. There can be almost a resentment or just resistance to why do I have to draw a conclusion about this? Why should I have to make this decision? And I think, again, to play a little bit of referee here, those of us in the religious world have often made this much, much worse for people because of the way the message has been presented in a very a very didactic way, a very pressure-filled way with, you know, the highest of possible stakes presented in the starkest possible terms, you know, heaven and hell and, and, and judgment kind of in an in in-your-face sort of way. Um, and then it's like, well, I have to reach this place of certainty about really, you know, pretty fantastical things and events and beliefs and I better do it quickly, you know, because there's this sense of time pressure and I, how can I do that? And I, I don't think it should even be that way. And as I unpack this season, I think hopefully part of my hope is that we will see, well, yeah, some of the way this has been presented isn't necessarily 100% accurate and probably not 100% the healthiest way possible. But at the same time, to, to argue the other side, the fact is there is no neutral standpoint. We are all in this life, thrust into it, making value decisions every day. You have to make a value decision just to get up out of bed. You have to decide you want want to or think it's in your best interest at least to do something. Uh, and that means moving in a particular direction. Even if it's just literally eating breakfast, you have to decide that that's better. And then there's a whole nested set of reasons why and what you're pursuing and 
the people around you and over a period of time, you're always acting out a worldview. Even if it's half formed, even if you haven't intentionally thought about it very much, you're always acting out a worldview. You're always acting out values every day. There is no neutral. There is no Switzerland when it comes to a point of view or a worldview. And so that's simply the situation we're in. So we are thrust into this life. Like it or not, it can be pretty rough sometimes. But why not take the time to be fairly intentional about it? Why not take the time to weigh out what is the best way to approach life? And that's going to come through hearing, through listening, through trying to understand, sort through. As we talked about in this episode, probably should do that with a dose of humility and a dose of awareness of ourselves and our weaknesses. But no one is exempt. And so this is a worthwhile pursuit. I believe it's a worthwhile pursuit, which is why we're doing this podcast in this season specifically. So as we sort through and suss through and listen and evaluate, uh, it'll be exciting. I hope it'll be exciting for you. We'll do some deep dives, but we'll come back up to the surface and summarize and think, well, what does this mean? And what am I, you know, what, what might I feel called to render a verdict on, whether it's just temporary or whether it's conclusive? One of my pet peeves has been, and this is why I think I've found myself feeling in between worlds at times, is in some camps, it's like you can't question, you can't ask questions, you can't think freely, you can't evaluate something that sounds different than the the trodden and true. And I, I don't like that, I chafe at that. And on the other hand, in other camps, it seems like you can't ever land anywhere, you can't conclude anything, because if you do, you're an intellectual sellout. You believe this, well then, you can't think clearly, you've kind of given up your gray matter, um, your brain's turned off, no conversation. And I chafe at that as well. You can't question, I don't like that. You can't conclude, I don't like that either. There has to be somewhere to live that is functional and healthy in the middle of those two things. And that is the kind of place that I would like this podcast to be. So hopefully you heard something today that might shed just a different a different spotlight on something that you hadn't considered or a different angle on your own process and journey of faith. But Keep staying with me. We're going to go do some of those deep dives in the episodes to come. I think you'll find it useful and helpful. And uh, yeah, let's go on this journey together. So for now, this is episode one, season two, The Willing Fool. Over and out. Till next time.